Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 93 of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. I am happy to be back with another episode of The Groove. It has been uh, probably about a month since we did episode 92, and we continue to work hard here on the big brand steering wheel nation that uh is now within a week uh probably within a day or two of launching here actually we're about 99 percent done now with the website just working on um some of the sort of back end plumbing connecting uh sign-in boxes to where they need to go and all of that so uh, very close now. It has been, as you all know, a long process here, but can't wait for y'all to see it. Lots going on with the brand. We'll get to that down the road, but, um, getting ready here as we get to the end of April, it's almost time to start racing super modifieds. Uh, we've got, of course, Oswego Speedway with a seven race, uh, tail wing <laughs> schedule, and uh, three top wing races that John Nicotra and his group are putting on uh, at the Speedway as well. That's going to be huge. Uh, of course, the classic uh, coming up at the end of the year. And uh, MSS with a nice schedule. We've got Isma uh, getting ready to get cranked up here. And of course, uh, the new series in New England getting ready as well which i think is now the new england super modified series i think i saw something uh about that um hopefully we'll get uh somebody from that series back on here again soon to update us on what's going on there as the season gets underway they've been kind of quiet but uh registrations coming in to oswego uh, much more frequently now and uh once camden gets back on u.s soil from his latest sojourn to norway we'll try to get get him back on the show again and give us all the update but uh once racing starts we will be full throttle here on the groove as usual for the season meanwhile what have we got coming up on today's show you ask well keith champagne's gonna join us now last week i believe it was um an announcement came out that the 55 car that chris osanic owns that keith has been racing for a number of years now full-time for the first uh two or three and then uh, part-time after that uh is being reworked to run with a top wing so uh with the isma for the isma races at um oswego and maybe some other places as well uh dave shulick will be the driver and so um we wanted to give Keith the opportunity to kind of shed some light on that situation from his point of view. So Keith will be joining us here in just a few minutes to kind of uh, give us the details on what's going on there and uh, why he's not in the car at this point. Um, so we'll look forward to that. 
And then uh, I was honestly a little bit blown away by the reaction that uh, I got from the idea of doing a 1972 season rewind and reading through an old program and kind of going back and taking a look at what was going on 50 years ago. And it was between those of you who commented, messaged me and texted me. um, I thought, you know what? Uh, let's do some more of that. So we're going to, I look through, I don't have a lot of programs from the 72 season, but we're going to go through the ones that I do have. Uh, and we're going to start this week. I don't have the opening day program from 72, but I have the week two program from 1972, The one that we did on the last show was actually the fifth program, so I guess it would have been after race four. Um, And this one's uh, the second program, so would be after opening day. So we're going to go through that one with you here uh, later in the show as well. And, um, you know, we'll we'll do the ones that we've got and kind of have some fun with that. Uh, It just, that whole thing if you didn't hear the last show yet episode 92 um that whole thing whole uh, concept was just started by the fact that i picked it up kind of randomly i found it actually in a box it wasn't with the other programs and i um i was looking at it and just sort of realized that it that thing that i was holding was 50 years old which is just it still boggles my mind. I mean, I guess I've hit that point. I'm going to be 55 in November. And I guess I just hit that point where it's sort of sunk in now. You know, 50 is a lot of years, right? So it isn't so much that, you know, even at 50 years old, I didn't feel any older, really. It didn't mean anything to me. But to to look at this program and note that it's, that this thing was made 50 years ago. That's pretty cool. So, you know, pretty, uh, pretty excited to, uh, to make this. We're not, we can't do it every week. Cause I don't have enough of the programs to do that with, but we're going to, for the next several weeks, anyway, we're going to do that. And then maybe in the off season, uh, cause I have more programs from 73 than I do from 72. So maybe in the off season, we'll kind of start sprinkling in, 73 programs because that's obviously the next 50 year uh 50 years ago when we get to 2023 73 will be 50 years ago so uh that's coming up as well so we've got a great show for you i want to start it though just before we go to break i want to make mention uh this is obviously easter weekend and we all understand i think what that means from a spiritual standpoint that it is the week that we celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we celebrate it because at that moment, death was defeated. So those of us who have given our life to Christ, we, we know that we, we know where we're going at, at the end of our time here on earth. And 
Um, and we also know that um, our sin debt was paid in full with with that uh, event. And I bring that up again, not to get into a sermon or anything like that, but to kind of lead us to the point of saying we, you know, we always, I think we focus sometimes uh, so much on the things that we like and the things that, that, that matter to us in terms of the fun things or the material things that you know, I don't think we spend enough time really focusing on people. And, you know, this show, um, I brought this show back to, um, to, to kind of have a way of, um, chronology, chronology, uh, I don't want to say this to have a way of preserving is the word I wanted. I don't know where I was going with the other word. Um, but to um, preserve history and interview some of the legends. And, um, but also, this show means to make people happy and to energize people and excite people about supermodified racing and, and hopefully make you laugh a little bit. But sometimes, you know, you, you, have to, uh, you, you have to make sure that you take care of the people that are part of the family. So along those lines, we, we talked about Robert Metcalf uh, a show or two ago and Robert's battle with cancer. Robert's doing as well as can be expected, but he's still got a, a ways to go. And um, the GoFundMe that was set up by his family for his medical expenses, uh, I don't believe they've met the necessary need yet. So um, I want to call our attention back to that. Robert is obviously a great supporter of Oswego Speedway and, and, and super modified racing and, um, you know, has been responsible for the uh, initiatives to rename portions of Albany Street, which has been divided up between Oswego Speedway legends on and off the track. Right. And um, we're big fans of Robert here on this show. So we would just remind you that if you haven't uh, gone and uh, donated through the GoFundMe uh and you are able to, we would ask that you go and donate what you can. Obviously, every little bit helps in this fight. Um, cancer sucks. And so we're still praying for Robert. And along the same lines, Terry Strong, once again, uh, is is fighting that stupid disease. And um, we love Terry. I've known Terry quite a while. I worked with Terry at one point. Um, and, uh, you know, Terry and, and Pat and, and Strong Racing have been huge super modified supporters for, gosh, uh, 20 plus years, anyway, we'll say. Um, and uh, so. We are praying for Terry as well, and I would ask that you do the same um, and uh, keep the love coming for her because uh, I know it, it, it makes a difference. So uh, Terry and Robert, we're, we're thinking about you. We're praying for you, and um, just go kick cancer's ass, will you? We'll be back with Keith Champagne as the groove continues right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. 
Skip's Fish Fries, located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to The Groove. As we continue with this episode, we welcome our guest, his second appearance on this show. Keith Champagne is with us, and uh, we brought Keith onto the show this week because obviously the news came out um, this past week that uh, the 55 car that Keith has been driving is uh, in the process of a uh, rework, I guess we could say, uh, and it's uh, Chris Osetic is going to turn it into a winged car, a top wing car for uh, uh, Dave Schulich to drive in the Oswego wing shows and maybe the high miler or wherever else. I'm not sure. So um, with that, we wanted to bring Keith in. Uh, Keith, welcome back to the show. Good to have you back. Um, so... I'm just going to let you kind of uh, take this where you will. Um, You know, you kind of confided in me a while ago that uh, this was kind of the the step that you decided to take. So I'm going to let you just sort of explain where you're at in your racing career and what's uh, what's going on, man. Oh, thanks for having me on, Tom. Absolutely. Uh, Certainly appreciate it. yeah, last year we, we ran part-time with the 55, and that was something that Chris and I decided actually uh, to do after would have been the 2019 season when he campaigned the 55 and the 95 both full-time uh, the first year with the, the new wing package. And uh, after that year, we had talked, and, and Chris told me that he wanted to run the 55 only part-time for the upcoming 2020 season. And he was going to campaign the 95 full time and um, due to finance finances and, and just the physically being able for him to be be able to to in his in his mind, you know, successfully campaign two cars full right. time. So uh, I agreed to that. And and, you know, it was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, obviously, for any any race driver. I think it would have been um, I still felt like I wanted to race, uh, full time there, but, but racing a super modified, even four or five times, you know, in a season, especially at a track like the Swigo Speedway is still, still an awesome opportunity. So wanted to come back in 2020 and, and run part time. And then of course, 2020 didn't happen uh, due to the pandemic. So we sat on the sidelines, uh, as everybody did throughout the year, uh, 
to go and then came back for for 2021 and you know there was probably a, a thought in my mind knowing that I was probably nearing the the end of the, my tenure with Chris and running the 55 that maybe I should just hang it up at that point and you know, we had won the last week out, the last regular season week out in 2019 and didn't finish great in the classic, but still that wouldn't have been a bad way to go out, you know, with a feature win. And, um, but really wanted to, really wanted to come back after the pandemic. I don't know. There was something about just everything being shut down for, for the year, year and a half there and, and not a lot of racing, especially in states like New York. Uh, I, I wanted to come back and give it an effort. I thought I would regret it that if, you know, I would have just hung it up and not given an attempt to race again at Oswego, you know, post the whole COVID-19 deal. So uh, did go back up there um, in 2021 and didn't have a good season. Obviously, I think anybody that followed the Supers at Oswego would would know that uh, we didn't really run very well. Did have a top five toward the end of the year, which was which was decent. Passed some cars in that race, but uh, the car really wasn't working that great. I, I don't, maybe I wasn't driving up to my potential. Whatever the case may be, we we didn't run all that great and had a, a breakdown in the classic, um, a fuel fuel cell issue, and uh, wasn't able to finish that race. Not that we were really running that great anyway, but. Um, that was kind of a tough way to go out and um, still wasn't sure when I left the track Sunday night and into the weekend or Labor Day on Monday that what I was going to do. thought maybe I wanted to come back. had uh, Ron Dates, a, a loyal crew member of mine, really wanted me to come back and wanted to work on the 55 to get it rebuilt uh, for the upcoming 2022 season. And he was kind of pushing me to do it and it was something where I had a long drive back. I guess it was uh, Tuesday after Labor Day back down here to Charlotte. And when I left upstate New York to drive back, I didn't know what I was going to do. And by the time I got probably somewhere in like Southern Virginia, I'd been thinking about it for eight, 10 hours at that <laughs> point, And I kind of had come to the realization that, you know what, I think I'm going to hang it up with a, at least with the 55 team and, and the Osetic team. And I think I'm going to step away from it at this time. And just a lot, a lot of thinking and um, maybe a little soul searching type of thing. And just came to the, came to the realization that it was time to time to step away. So it took me a few days to get the, the guts up to call Chris and have a talk with him about it. But I think it was probably that Friday or Saturday after that, I, I called Chris and we talked about it for a while and, and um, just, you know, I guess mutually parted ways at that point. Okay, so um, you made the decision last year after the Classic to, to step back from the 55, as you put it. Um, you have not necessarily said here that you are retiring from supermodified racing. So, um you know, I have to ask, is this the end of your super modified career or are you leaving the door open a crack in case something comes up that might be of interest to you? Um, yeah, I'm not going to state that I'm officially retiring or anything like that. Um, I don't have any plans to get back into it at this time. I have no opportunities. I haven't certainly haven't pursued anything either. So I, I definitely want to take a, 
little step back here, it'd be very difficult to ever do it full time again, even though I feel for me as a driver, um, in order to, to race at my, my potential, I feel like I need to be in the seat every time there's a super modified race at a Swigo. Um, I just, I'm not probably not real big on the idea of doing it just a couple times a year. It, although I would, I would potentially step into something for a, a race like classic at the end of the year, it, it's hard to walk away from these race cars. I mean, they're, they're some of the greatest race cars on the planet, especially certainly in America. Um, and it's really, once you get a taste of it, it's difficult to, to say that, yeah, I'm done forever, but I very well might, might be, it, it, this could be the end of it. I might never strap into one again and I'd be okay with that. Um, but you know, possibly I could, could race one uh, again, uh, possibly full time. It'd be tough to do it full time living out of Charlotte. I'd really would rather at least spend the summer being in New York and being more committed to it. Uh, working in the shop a little bit on the car, which is something I really haven't had to do. I'll be honest with you. It's been really nice since I moved to Charlotte. I haven't had to work in on the race car a lot. That's been a good opportunity for me. Um, I did in my early years when I drove for the Strongs, and, and my dad and I owned a car for a couple of years. I spent yeah. a lot of time in the shop, but since then I haven't had to. That, that's something I wouldn't mind getting back into if if an opportunity ever came up, but I'd probably – I'd probably prefer to to spend the summer up up north and and really commit myself to it if I was going to go down that road again. But I'll I'm not going to close the door on anything. Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard to believe that you've been racing since 2005 uh, or 19. No, yeah, 2005. That's right. Yeah, um, and uh, 2005. And so, yeah, about 16 16 years or so. Um, yeah, I don't a, know if I took a couple of years off here and there. Um, honestly, when I moved to Charlotte, I didn't think there'd ever be a way to race at Oswego again. I just thought that'd be impossible. Yeah, that's to live, right. You did have a break live in there. Charlotte yeah. and race in Oswego, but um, it, it ended up happening, and I did it for a lot, a bunch more years after that. Well, and you and you and Chris had some good success together, and and really. Um, you know, it was interesting to watch because obviously Chris had never built a car um, and then, you know, built the first one and and uh, and built the second one. And I mean, the the improvement and the degree to which, you know, everything kind of picked up for you and, and for him, um, you know, I mean, you were as much a part of his growth as a car builder as you know as anyone else and then uh you know dave came along and kind of got to enjoy the fruits of the labor that you and chris had done because by the time dave got there um you know you guys were a winning combination yeah i wish we would have won some more i felt like we should have won a bunch more than we did for one reason or another it didn't happen that was and that's racing you know but excellent car builder chris is nobody I'm not going to say nobody works harder. A lot of people up there work hard, but he works as hard as anybody at it and has a very intense commitment to to running well and winning races and never never take anything away from that. He's And that's certainly going to be a, a tough combination, him and DJ, uh, to beat in the, in the coming years, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, so let's talk about what you're doing now because I want people to know 
about this, and I think uh, probably some of the super modified crowd would would be interested in this. So you've you've been um, you've been a, a media for quite a while. You've done a lot of work for uh, a number of different uh, teams and karting and super modified racing. You're still doing the ISMA website. You you know you've got a lot of uh, involvement in a lot of different ways with that, but um, something else that you've just started doing here in the fairly recent uh, times is you've launched a site. You've kind of gotten back to uh, your, your go-karting roots only on the four cycle sprint side. You're not racing them. You're talking about them and writing about them. You got a site called the cart lounge. What was the genesis of that? And uh, talk about what you're doing with that. Um, Yeah. About a little over a year ago, started a, a media publication, I guess you'd call it online publication, uh, Cart Lounge. It's Cart Lounge on Facebook, cartlounge.com. And we just go around and cover go-kart races, honestly, um, posting pictures, videos, uh, driver interviews, uh, feature stories. I mean, I've always been a writer, so and I've always loved go-kart racing. So I've, I wanted to kind of combo the two and and give an excuse to to go to cart races again and this kind of stem came up about during 2020 when a lot of stuff was shut down there was still a lot of go-kart racing going on uh after those first few months of the lockdown and i just started going to a lot of cart races again and 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 kind of rekindling some old friendships and stuff and just decided that it was something i wanted to do i created a a facebook page and a website and and just kind of took it from there, went to Daytona at the end of 2020, a track I used to race a lot in the go-karts and had a bunch of wins there. And and instead of going down there as a driver, I went down there as a media guy and and just started posting videos and and uh, photos and, and audio interviews and stuff like that and got a ton of likes on the, on the page and a lot of uh, insights and just seemed seemed like the statistics were really good after the weekend and said, well, maybe this is something I could take and run with and and continue to. We have some really cool tracks right around where we live. GoPro Motorplex in Mooresville and Charlotte Motor Speedway's kart track has yep. reopened. They redid that a couple of years ago. So there's a couple of tracks in my backyard. And while I would love to be out there racing them and maybe and I have in the past at GoPro anyway, but um, and maybe someday I will again. But for right now, I I enjoy going to tracks like that in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. There's a cool track down there I've gone to With several times, and uh, 103rd <laughs> Street and yes. Barnesville, Georgia. And actually, right now I'm sitting at a go kart track in uh, near Winchester, Virginia, Summit Point Raceway, uh, and I'll be doing helping them out here this weekend. I manage the club's Facebook page and and do their email newsletter and just all online media stuff that i've been a freelancer for for years for different clubs and tracks and series and, and even stuff outside of racing um doing their websites and things like that and uh just continue with my my business is new concept media and then the i have the cart lounge um carting page that kind of runs under that umbrella and and just kind of seeing where where it'll go i've had some opportunities to sell some advertising for it i haven't jumped at it just yet because at, at this point it's still more of in, in my mind a hobby in a way and i haven't wanted to fully commit myself to selling advertising packages and turning it into a real i guess a job in, 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 in that sense 
Um, although I'm probably pretty close to getting, getting to that. And, and that's another thing that's probably made me realize to maybe it's time to move on from racing at Oswego, you know, and I think any driver knows this, especially any driver that's, that's raced there living out of state, whether they're from out of state or, or moved away from the central New York area. It's a, it's a major commitment, even when you're not, even when you're not spending all the time in the shop, just the time on the highway, the time in the airports and, yeah. and flying back and forth when you're doing it on a full-time level and even a part-time level, it's, it is a big commitment and you sacrifice a lot. You sacrifice stuff in your career, um, in business and family. I don't have any kids, but I know people who have stopped racing recently because they, they, they're starting young families and stuff like that. And you get to be about, about this age, I just turned 38 last week and you kind of look at things and maybe it's time to, to put your hobbies aside and, and, and focus on, possibly things that may be more important at this stage of your life. And like my wife's always told me since the last, since I've been with her, with Kelly, you know, she reminds me, this is racing at a studio is a hobby. You're not making a living at it. You're, you're not paying the bills with it. You know, don't, this is just, the, it's very competitive, but at the end of the day, it's still, it still really is kind of a hobby. And you have to remember that. And sometimes that you have to set that hobby aside to do other things and, and and try to better yourself in in different ways or or commit yourself in different ways and i guess i just wanted to get that out there too i think and i've seen a lot of people that i've grown up with you know racing in mike rods and and other drivers racing on the quarter midget side when we were young um i've seen a lot of drivers around my age at this time at this point in their careers kind of taking a step back and retiring semi-retiring or what have you and i guess i'm at this point i'm i'm kind of falling into that that category well and you know as you say everybody's time comes and i don't think a lot of fans a lot of people probably realize that uh, you've done a lot of other things besides the race supers last week i mean you were you worked at butler seats for a while and you've had a lot of other jobs and a lot of other things that you've You've been into, and, and then, as you say, you've had the media for a long time and, and been doing different things with that and, and working in the karting world and now kind of re uh, rekindling that part of your career again with a bit of a new twist with the Kart Lounge, which is awesome and uh, was fun. You and I got a chance to collab at Charlotte a few weeks ago. It was a bunch of fun doing the CKNA yes, Spring Nats there. And uh, we're going to do more of that, folks. I'll be telling you about that uh, a little later. But uh, we, we've got we've got something going on. So, um, man, I, I'll tell you, I, I know I can speak for everybody at the Oswego Speedway when I say that if you never set foot back in a super modified there again, we would really, really miss you. But we have certainly appreciated the opportunity to watch you race and see you grow into that. And go on to Victory Lane and to, you know, have some great runs in a few classics. Uh, fortunately, Lady Luck was not quite on your side, um, you know, in those races. But you certainly gave it a good ride. And uh, it's just been great to to have you as a part of uh, part of the Super Modified Racing Fraternity for all this time. So we wish you the best in whatever it is that you do. And uh, one never knows, folks. Uh, you know, things have a way of working out sometimes. So who knows if we'll see Keith back in the Super again, but definitely not closing the door to it. So uh, we'll see what happens 
as uh, the season gets going. Absolutely, well, buddy. It's funny. I thought, real quick, I thought I was done. We, I ran in 05, 06, and 07, and then I moved to Charlotte in 08, and I thought I was done at that point. I you know, we didn't have, I didn't have a lot of success. I had, I made some memories and had some top fives and stuff, but I thought I was done at that point when I moved to Charlotte. And then a friend of mine called me about a year, year and a half later. And there was an opening in the 88 car that Randy Durat owned. Yep. And I got an opportunity to, to come back up there and race. And I didn't think it'd be, like I said, I didn't think it'd be possible to race at Oswego living in Charlotte, but I did. And made it happen with them for a couple of years with Durat's team and then took a couple of years off and then had a good run with Chris. So it was, it was really, um, never say never, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I, cause like I say, I thought, I thought I'd never race again after the 07 season and ended up racing something like 10 more seasons at Oswego. So, well, uh, you just never know. And I, I real quick, I just want to thank mainly talking about my Osetic, tenure i want to thank chris and brian osetic for for all the effort they put into it and and the dollars spent by chris and and the time and everything great car owner to drive for brian osetic great crew uh fabricator crew guy whatever you want to call brian he's jack of all trades um appreciate crew guy john co for his commitment on the crew tj toyota ed close and his group for stepping up to sponsor us back in 2016 i think it started uh when we kind of we're all a bunch of no names in a way um he stepped up sponsor us really helped out the team tom and kathy collins was kind of a silent sponsor for me for a bunch of years uh fans that wanted to be involved and helped us out dollar wise and really appreciate their support chandler automotive for being a sponsor of me for years uh any fans i had up there that cheered for me appreciate it appreciate everything all the crew members that kind of came and went over the years how big or small of a role they were on the team um uh the osetic family the speedway for keeping the track open john and eric Teresi, and my wife kelly stepdaughter morgan for all their support um uh, and anybody else i might be forgetting appreciate all the all the support over the years maybe you will uh, see me back again if not uh, maybe I'll be back as a fan. And the the one of the people that gave me a start at Oswego uh, back in 05, Terry Strong, uh, she's going through some health issues right now. I just yes, want to send is. my thoughts and prayers out to her. Absolutely. Good. Uh, did you thank your mother? I don't remember you saying your mother's name. She, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know she's going to hit you. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for all. She's my biggest fan. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, if it wasn't for her, you wouldn't be here. So I just want That's you right. to understand that. She, yeah, you just got to remember she that. Helped me, she actually helped me in with, to get in with the strong. She had the first conversation with Pat and Terry Strong before I ever uh, met met those two people. Um, she talked to them about my interest in driving a super. So yes. I can't forget my mother. Yes, absolutely. Um, there there you go, Darlene. You're welcome. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I got your back, Darlene. Uh, anyway, no, it's 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 uh, it's always fun, Keith, and it's it's great that you're still involved in the sport and uh, you've done a, 
uh, a lot of good work over the years on the media side, and I know you're going to continue to do that. And uh, so, and of course, uh, open door here in case you got anything you want to talk about. Or of course, if you decide to get back into a super, we would love to know about it. And uh, you're welcome to jump on and tell us. So uh, if anybody's got a super out there and uh, wants to put Keith in, he hasn't said no. He just hasn't said yes. So he well, I'm is... just I'm definitely taking the next few months off, though. Let's get that clear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for later in the summer, uh, talk That's to him right. about Classic and he might be available. Oh, but I was going to mention, too, when you were listing your your rides there, you even got into the Steve Miller Hall of Fame by driving the Sweet 16 one time. Yeah, that was the year at, uh, the wind grace got rained out classic weekend at 06 or 07. I, I think it was 06. And they ran the wing race a few weeks after classic. And I was walking up and down the pit and just started talking to the Millers and they had the ride open cause they had two cars at that time. And the one was a 76 and I jumped into that car that day and, and we should have qualified. We broke in the concy, um, broke, uh, drive shaft i believe but um i was passing cars in that race and should have qualified for my first isma race and honestly i've never run an isma race that that would have been my only one i ran at sandusky in 2020 with chris uh but that was a non-sanctioned deal because of the pandemic so technically i've never never still to this date never qualified for an isma race that would that day would have been the only one in the sweet sweet 76 i guess it would have been <laughs> it still counts as the 16 as long as Steve <laughs> owned it it counts uh you know number changes are a necessity but it was still the 16 so there and you, you can go. just tell steve would have been an awesome guy to drive for it oh yeah if, you know that was just a one-day deal for me but i really enjoyed that that was a lot of fun he had a great attitude well, and it's funny how, you know, you kind of sort of connect dots because, you know, the Miller family is a generational family at the track now. And, of course, we all know the Champagne family. And, um, you know, you drove for Chris Osetic for a number of years, whose dad obviously uh, started Joe Gozik's career, um, you know, and, and so you just keep drawing the dots. And uh, it, it just continues to amaze me how all that works out over time. So, uh, Keith, I know you got a lot going on there at Summit, so uh, wanted to be respectful of your time and uh, glad that you took the time to to give us a call and, and kind of give us your side of all of that so everybody would know that, uh, you know, there's there's no tabloid drama here. There was no fight. There was no argument. There was no any of that. You know, nobody uh, left their helmet on, took their helmet off, nothing like that. Um, just simply a decision for Keith to, to step back and, and uh, do some other things. And Chris obviously has got a, a dang fast race car that uh, he can convert now for Dave to run some wing shows and support what John Nakotra has got going on. And um, which I think is, is great as well. So it works out great for everybody. And uh, maybe at some point we may see Keith back in the super, but we'll see at any rate, he's still going to be around. So uh, keep in touch with him. and Keith, thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Okay. No problem. Thanks Tom. We'll be back with more of the groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. 
They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Groove, hope you enjoyed that interview with Keith Champagne. Had a good time doing it, Keith. Uh, it's kind of funny because for a good while, you know, everybody thinks... Um, just cause you live near somebody that you, you know, you see them and hang out and talk all the time. And, and I can't tell you how many people have asked me, you know, do I hang out with this person or that person? Cause there's obviously a lot of us from central New York that are down here in North Carolina now. And so everybody wants to know, you know, do you see this? You know, I, I, um, I, somebody asked me not too long ago, you know, do you ever get a chance to, to see Regan Smith? Um, and the answer is the last time that Regan and I saw each other was at Atlanta Motor Speedway about three or four years ago. It would have been at least 19, if not 18, but somewhere in that area was before, um, the world stopped in 2020. Um, and I was hurrying in one direction to get an interview and Regan was hurrying in the opposite direction to do an interview. Um, and we kind of just both said, Hey man, what's up? And kept, kept on hurrying. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a big area down here. And for a while, um, I didn't see too much of Keith. Um, and he, uh, he actually called me a, a, a couple of months ago and he was playing in a pool league with uh, on a team that actually is captained by Joe Cervellati. And some of you who are, you know, long time, um, I'm not calling us old, okay? But some of us who have been around the Speedway for a long time will remember the name Joe Cervellati. He was used to be on Eddie Bellinger's crew. And uh, Joe's been down here for a bit. And... So Joe was captaining this 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 pool team in this this league. There's such a thing as the APA, which I guess is American Pool Association. Um, And they sanction all of these tavern leagues, you know, regionally around the country. Um, And it's much the same way that the World Tavern Poker League works, which I um used to play in way more than I do now, but you, you have the, the local um, leagues are held in, in taverns in each area. And then there's four seasons. So, you know, every season you play the season and then there's a a local playoff, then a regional playoff. And then um, you go to the state playoff and then to the national playoff, which is in Vegas. And that's the same way that, that, um, that, the tavern league and the pool league APA pool thing work kind of the same way on that, I guess. So anyways, Keith, uh, 
Keith, they needed another player, and Keith asked me would I be interested, and I haven't played, I haven't shot pool for about a long time, uh, many, many years, uh, probably 10 or more as far as any, with any kind of regularity anyway. And so Keith invites me to to play on this team and tells me that Joe Shervelotti is the the captain. So I thought, you know, well, that would be fun. So it's, it you know, the league, league meets on Tuesday nights at a place called Hot Shots here, which is kind of a, um, it's sort of a cheap knockoff of Hooters in more ways than one. <laughs> I won't go any farther with that. Um, but, you know, it's where we go play. And, uh, you know, you can get food and obviously drink or whatever. And then you, they have the pool tables. And, and while we're playing, the, um, in the uh, if you go in on like a Sunday and practice pool, you know, the, the, the tavern poker league's playing. So it's kind of, kind of fun. But anyways, um, we ended up, uh, so I ended up doing that and that sort of got Keith and I back together again a little bit to, that's what sort of, uh, I think opened the door for, you know, Keith wanted to, to do some, um, collab with some of the cart stuff he was doing. So we did a race at Charlotte, of the cup carts North America series, which is a four cycle sprint cart series. Um, really awesome racing. And so he and I kind of worked together to cover that for his site, the cart lounge and, and all that. And, and, um, so, you know, you, you heard the announcement of, uh, the, 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 the magazine that, that, uh, steering will nation is doing. And, uh, so Keith will be helping us with that and doing some writing for that. Uh, so that's that's pretty awesome. So that was fun. Uh, and it's been fun to kind of get, you know, see Keith and Kelly more and um, see that they're doing well and, and all of that. So, um, you know, hopefully maybe at some point we can get Keith back in a super for a classic or something. But, you know, he's uh, he's just got a lot of other stuff going on. So you kind of do get to that point sometimes where you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's just time to step back. So, uh, okay. Moving forward, let's talk about 1972, 50 years ago. I just can't believe it. Um, 50 years ago. And this is, you know, I do these segues, you know, I, I still got there. There's a reason I opened with that whole thing about Keith um, guess who won opening day 1972? Uncle Jimmy. Champagne, opening day victor. And for those of you who didn't listen to episode 92, and if you didn't, why the heck not, by the way? Um, go back <laughs> go back and listen to it. Um, and uh, basically, I just opened the program, and, you know, y'all gathered around, and, and uh, you know, I kind of read the program to you, or at least uh, most of it. We talked about what was going on. At that time. So uh, opening day, 1972, um, Champagne opening day, Victor. Here is the we're, we're on page one. Basically, I I'll, I skip the ads, um, though. Those are kind of fun to talk about, too. But uh, we did some of that on the last show. So uh, we'll we'll just sprinkle those in as we go. Um, after days of rain, 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 the weatherman blessed the Oswego area last Saturday with exceptionally beautiful conditions. 
as the Oswego Speedway started their 21st consecutive season of auto racing in fine style. Close wheel-to-wheel racing highlighted all the events of the night, and when the checkered flag fell on lap 45, it was Jim Champagne of Clay, New York, who guided his car eight ball to the first feature win of the season. Champagne, who started on outside pole in the feature go, turned the fastest time of the day with a time of 18.74 seconds. Think about that for a moment. 1874 was the fastest time 50 years ago. Now we're over three seconds faster or about three seconds faster than that. Woof. With the second fastest time going to the 93, see episode 93, see where this is going? 93, this all ties in perfectly, I'm telling you. A Baldy Baker who turned the oval at 18.92. When the green flag fell at the start of the feature, Baker blasted off to the front. Champagne held on to second for a half lap until Storm and Norman Macrath took that spot away. Macrath then set sail after the 93 and after running side by side with Baldy for three laps, put the Hagen Howard 40 out front. Champagne snuck by Baker shortly thereafter and suddenly four cars were battling away for the number one spot. Macrath, Champagne, Baker and Kenny Andrews ran lap after lap, dicing it out for the top spot. Eventually, Norm and Jimmy began pulling away with Norm holding a slim 10 car length lead on Champagne. On lap 30, Macrath encountered fuel filter problems and was forced to slow the pace. And finally, on lap 36, Champagne put the eight ball in front for good. He opened up a sizable lead over the rest of the field. When the checkered flag fell on lap 45, Jimmy Champagne came home first with his famed eight ball. Norm Macrath came sputtering across the finish line to take second place with a Hagen Howard Chevy number 40. Local star Fred Graves of Central Square turned in another sparkling performance when he guided his 37 to a fine third place finish with New England ace dynamite Ali Silva driving the sprint car 03 to a fourth place finish. Rounding out the top five was Doug Sire of Burlington, Ontario with his yellow 72. Now let's, let's just stop right there. I'll give you the rest of the finishing order here in a moment, but let's stop there for a minute and let's talk about what, we've got just with these top five drivers here. Okay. First of all, you have Jimmy Champagne who was, you know, again, everyone, everyone is right to say that Nolan Swift built the track. Okay. Nolan was the first superstar. Jimmy was his heir apparent. Now, you're not going to hear me call the 10 pins in the finishing order of this race because Nolan had retired from competition and he was, um, he was not there in opening day. He, uh, actually, I think, I don't know that he'd retired yet, but he wasn't there opening day. I think he started the year got injured and then decided to retire and put Bobby Stelter in the car. Okay. But no one was not in the field. Jimmy was, Jimmy was and is considered by many people, including this people 
to be the most complete race car driver to ever walk through the gates at the Oswego Speedway and drive a super modified. And, you know, complete as in he drove them, he engineered them, he built them, he raced supers, he raced modifieds, he raced asphalt, he raced dirt, he raced sprint cars. If he had been able to go IndyCar racing at that time, um, if that situation had ever developed, Lord knows. Okay. And I just, it, it so happened that just before I started recording this show, somebody had sent me a, a, a link to Richie Evans, NASCAR hall of fame induction, uh, video. It's about a 45 minute video. Uh, and, and I had just watched that and it really got me to thinking that you're never going to see the likes of, Jimmy Champagne and Richie Evans ever again. You're never going to see that because everything is too specialized. You can name any driver from, from present day. I don't care who it is. You're never going to see that again because even the ones like Otto, for example, who drive the car and build the car. And yes, Otto ran dirt. And I, I know he's run a modified a time or two. And I think he, Got into a TQ over the winter here just recently. Um, it, it, this is no disrespect to Otto, but it, it was another level for those guys. And it wasn't even because it wasn't even because somebody like Otto wouldn't be capable of that or wouldn't have the knowledge to be what Jimmy Champagne was. It's just back then you could go race all those things and still feed your family. Right. The, the, the cost of things, the everything was, you know, go to the junkyard and get this or go, you know, buy it from an auto parts store. In fact, Jimmy owned <laughs> that probably made it easier, too, because he owned the store. Um, so, you know, it's a write off. Right. Um, it's advertisement. <laughs> marketing and advertising. I just now thought of that too. He actually owned the store. So I wonder how many of his parts he got from, you know, but anyway, um, the, it was just the, the, the time the the, 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 the time that we were in, it, it was, you know, racing was still a young sport really. I mean, as far as the, you know, the short track stuff, you had, you know, stock car racing and you had, but divisions like the supers, um, I don't think super modifieds really started till the sixties, maybe late fifties, but I think the early sixties and, and in some areas they were called cut downs, but, um, so it wasn't a very old division. So when you think about guys like Jimmy and like Richie who built all their own stuff and who could literally jump in anything, I mean, you know, I watched the the heat race. It's on YouTube. If you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. Just type in Richie Evans Oswego Speedway heat race win, and it'll it'll come up. I think Northeast Racing or Northeast Supers is the channel. I think it's Northeast Racing. And you watch him in, I think it was 84 or 85, whenever it was, and he drove the Skipmatic 3 that, that, that ironically Maynard Troyer built. I had to chuckle at that little um, I, I, I don't know that I've ever really, uh, realized that or, or, you know, kind of thought about it until, you know, I was watching that heat race and it kind of hit me. He was winning in a Troyer car, but the way Richie drove that car, he'd never been in it before. And he gets in it and goes out 
and blows, you know, and ends up going three wide to the outside and beats Mike Muldoon and Eddie Bellinger to the finish line in a three wide finish. One of the most incredible finishes I've ever seen at Oswego Speedway wins that heat race. You know, he he would race on dirt. I don't know that Richie ever did a lot of dirt, but he didn't spend a lot of time there either. He didn't commit, you know, a lot of his brain power to being successful on dirt as, say, Jimmy did. But to be able to build the his own stuff and, and, and you know, and go do those things, and you knew, I mean, he drove, got Nolan Swift's 10 pins. I think it was 75 at Thompson and just blew the field into the weeds. I mean, it, it wasn't as though he passed on the last lap to win. I think he led every lap of that race or close to it. And, and nobody was even, you know, so these were a different breed of drivers. So just thinking about Jimmy out of this top five, you know, you, you have one of the all time iconic short track racers in, in history, and he'll never be in you know, the, the biggest hall of fames, because, you know, again, it's, you know, he was only in central New York and a little bit in PA with the sprint car. Um, but, you know, didn't spend a lot of time, even like rich, he did, you know, traveling down to North Carolina to race a modified, for example, or whatever, where you kind of get your name out there and go do, you know, and, and, and you get fans that are, um, but, you know, again, just a, a, a different level. And I think Jimmy earns more than anybody else in Oswego Speedway history. I think Jimmy earns the right to be called the king of, of the Oswego Speedway for those reasons. Again, front engine, rear engine, you know, we all know he, he revolutionized the entire super modified division twice in three years, you know, just, just really amazing. Um, okay. So now let's let's talk about second Storm and Norman Macrath. First of all, how about the era of the nicknames? You, you know, that's I love when I'm announcing and I can assign a nickname. It's it's so much fun, especially, you know, in it, it, you see it a lot in short track. Right? So you don't see it as much like in NASCAR. Um, I mean, gosh, think about Cuckoo Marlin, you know. <laughs> Where else you you're not you're not gonna hear you know watch a Yankee game and you know now batting first baseman Cuckoo Marlin you know that's just not gonna happen right um, but Storm and Norman Backrath what a nickname and and boy did it fit I mean what a driver that man was Canadian racer um, Hagen Howard Chevy you know here are local people I think they were from Fulton I think if I remember right Fulton New York had a maybe a service station or a body shop or maybe both, something like that. I think they were in the automotive business somehow. And, um, you know, and owned super modifieds and, and Norm, you know, built the, the relationship. They, and my gosh, that, that car was fast. You know, Freddie Graves, look at what Freddie went on to do. At this point, he's young in his career. Top three, I think he won his first race that year with the 37 and um i always get confused because it, it kind of went through some partnerships you had um you had john corbin there somewhere you had holly marsh you had i think there was another there might have been an even another person and then freddie uh were all kind of involved in the ownership and whatever of the car and i think it it sort of went through 
okay, I bought this guy out and this guy bought the, the, whatever. So I always get confused who owned it when, but so I won't try to try to go down that road at this point here at this moment when this happened, but finish his third, you know, with, in that 37, I always loved it. It was a, it was a cool design, like a cool, um, you know, shape, cool, cool design. I always had the little, little roof on the top of it. Um, which I never really could figure out other than somebody was thinking it was, you know, simulating a wing. I'm not sure. I don't know why, you know, he had these cars with the roofs on them. Um, and, uh, but that, that, that car, the orange, I love the color of it. It was different, you know, it was different. That was the era when you literally could have, could have taken all the paint off every car in the pit area practically. And you could have just walked by and knew who they were by the, by the shape of them, you know, just the bodies and, and the cages and all that. Cause they were all unique. Um, so, you know, Freddie goes on to, to again, hit, you know, the Graves chassis era, right? Um, what? mid mid to late 80s late 80s somewhere 86 87 um on i think maybe i'm maybe i'm early but um you know had that whole sort of period where everybody was driving graves cars look what freddie did you know freddie was an engineer and again freddie understood like jimmy did he understood cars i think you know and and of course you had the four-wheel drive era with him and bill height and then they built you know, Bill built some cars. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, yeah, I think Freddie's very underrated as a driver because a lot of times he didn't have the most money or have the best necessarily even equipment. But, you know, it just just looking at his evolution, you know, he had, a, he had the X-Indy car that he, the rear engine car, and then built his own Roadster, and that worked really well. And then, you know, got to driving for Bill and then, um, back to his, his own stuff. I think, um, that the, the first offset car he built the paint job on that car with the flames, one of the prettiest cars I've ever seen anywhere ever at any racetrack anywhere ever, just beautiful car. Um, you know, but, uh, probably doesn't get the respect that he really deserves. Right. So, um, Ali Silva, we need, what do you, what do you say? One of the best to ever come out of New England. The guy was unbelievable back then. You know, his cars never looked like much, but boy, were they fast. I, I remember I remember him more in the in that that sort of beat up gremlin modified that he used to have than I do in the super. But um, but boy, he was incredible. And I think he had an accident that hurt him pretty bad and um, not sure if he trying to remember if he even came back after that he might have for a short time but i don't know that he was ever himself after that and then another canadian doug sire you know a guy who went on to to build motors um you know started kind of the motor business and and uh doug was doug was a really competitive racer um you know so just that top five you've got central new york represented you got new england you got pennsylvania or uh, sorry canada um you know, just just five really, really tough competitors. Now let's go through the rest of the field. Finishing sixth, the 04 of Bobby Stelter. That was the woodshed car. Remember that? Um, Bruce Kraft finished seventh in his own car, 87. Eighth was Howie Brown in the 79. And uh, Grandpa Howie was, again, another one of those guys. You always look forward to him coming up. 
Um, finishing ninth was Jimmy Winks, and I could spend 20 minutes talking about his talent because much like Jimmy Champagne, Winksy could also run asphalt, dirt, supers, modifieds, didn't matter, and win. Um, I don't know that Jimmy, I think he might have built a modified or two early on for himself, but he never really was as much known for his building as he was for the driving. But um, you can put him in anything, street stock, sprint car. Um, Jimmy was just a great racer, and um, in, in the car he was driving, again, I could spend a whole show talking about Ernie and Bob June you know, in the 59 car and all the drivers they had and all, all the um, just loved that yellow paint scheme they used to have on their earlier cars of this era. Um, so Jimmy was driving for them. And let's see, six, seven, eight, nine. Denny Wheeler finished 10th. Uh, and I think Denny might have been in his first year racing at Oswego back then. Um, Ronnie Madison, 11th in the 80. That would have been the old Swift upright. The the that when Swift took the body off as sportsman to run with the super, um, it's amazing how <laughs> that car had so much life after we had real supers and everybody was buying supers. Um, that car got passed from Ronnie Madison. I think Ronnie Graves started with it, and then oh man, um, maybe was that Joe Paino's first car? Eventually, maybe um, somebody will probably swap me for that and tell me i'm wrong but i i think that might have been joe paino's first car he took it completely rebuilt it didn't look anything like the 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 swift car after that but um you know ronnie was just getting started bernie grant in the 17 bless bless uh god bless him um bernie um bernie was was a a, a good competitor at the speedway and um tragic end of his life baldy baker in the 93 didn't finish very well in the feature but um, we'll talk about him and the 93 in a minute um, when we discuss the episode number, because it's the same. <laughs> That's why Kenny Andrews in the 55. Good Lord. I mean, again, here's a guy who gets probably very, you know, nobody spends a lot of time talking about that guy. And I never I don't know that I ever I'm, I'm sure I got his autograph sometimes, but I don't really have a recollection of interacting with him too much. But I always have heard that Kenny was a Jekyll and Hyde. He was one of the nicest guys off the track, but I remember him on the track and he could be pretty aggressive and in all those bars that he had on the car and he's got, you know, wrenches and whatever hanging out. I, I mean, it was, he was, he was a trip, but boy, he, he was there to win for sure. Red Barnhart was still racing in 72, driving the 66 car. I, I, I don't know what car that would have been if it was the car that eventually became the Rainer 29 and the Rainer 76 that Ronnie drove or not. I don't know if he was, that was the car. Um, guess we'll find out as the season goes on, right? Um, read more programs. Paul Baumhauer in the 62. Don't know the car. I remember Paul driving the double zero a year or two later for Kenny Reese, but um, the, I wasn't going yet, by the way, in 72 didn't start till the next year. So, uh, kept dates in the 28. Uh, didn't have a, a great night. Bruno Marchison in the 14. Mark Letcher in the 29. I'm assuming again that that would have obviously been the car previous to the Holinsky car. Um, Nick Rowe in the 12. Always, always loved that car. I always loved the fact that it was self-starting. I thought it was it was interesting that they had a as I got older, I learned that that would be a transmission, right? <laughs> when you're five, what do you know, right? Um, so uh, always always enjoyed that car, but I guess that was probably a disadvantage 
in some ways because it added weight. So, uh, so I would he- would think anyway. Um, Dom Muccio in the '77 um, was probably again just getting started. And I don't remember, I want to say that might have been an old Dummigan car, but then I wonder if he might have built it himself. I can't remember. But Dom, Dom had, um, Dom, Dom was, he raced for a couple of years and ended up losing his life in a crash on the front stretch. Um, Jack Murphy in the Shamrock 13. Um, again, could we talked about that car because that was the cover car of the, the last program. Uh, last episode uh, 92 when we started this jack was on the cover of that program so uh go back and listen if you want to want to hear that uh discussion and john bozio in the six i have no memory of him at all i don't think he raced past 72 or at least i don't remember if he did i don't know anything about him um champagne andrews and graves won the heats baker and champagne won the semis and bruno marchison won the concis so let's turn to Ivor the driver reports shall we this is the gossip column the rumors column the news column of the program Ivor says hats off to jim champagne and his feature win last saturday this guy comes to the track opening day with his car ready to go completely kind of like Otto, isn't it 90% of his competition are still trying to get it all together. He deserved the win just on the basis of being ready to race to win. What did you think of the new 10 pins? Okay, so the 10 pins apparently was there. Uh, really low, really sleek. Check the door on the right side of the car. So that was the first car that he had the little door. Swifty used to have a door on on the car. That he, would help, he would get in and out of the door instead of climbing out through the roll cage, which was kind of funny. Um, through which Swift gains entrance to the cockpit. The, the, the seat is fixed in an almost prone position. Now, I don't know what that means. Maybe somebody can explain in a comment why I would, I would hope that even prior to that, all of the seats in race cars would be in a prone position. In other words, I don't think I'd want to be having the seat moving around in the car when I'm sitting in it driving a hundred miles. <laughs> so there has to be something to the, the phrase prone position more than just the seat didn't move. So maybe one of our um, well-experienced uh, members of our audience here can explain why it was important that that seat was in a, an almost prone position. Um, what was different about it? Cause that, <laughs> that sounds sort of scary in a way time will tell how it will go so apparently for whatever reason he make the feature that night so i guess he was there todd gibson missed last week because he blew an engine the week before in ohio hopefully he'll be here with his new flintstone flyer tonight uh i don't think that would have been the rear engine car yet i'm thinking for some reason that that didn't happen until the next year Jeff Bodine failed to show last Saturday because of engine heads locking. Again, I have no idea what that means. I'm not a tech guy. Definitely not a motor guy. So maybe somebody can explain engine heads locking. Maybe we'll see him tonight. That would be the rear engine car 99. Um, X-Indy rear engine car. And again, talked a lot about that in the last show. Um, So uh, you can check that out if you want. But um, and I'm. I'm really uh, 
So he wasn't there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how he progresses through the season here as we keep going with this. In general, the cars that were here last Saturday were all good-looking Supers. We were particularly impressed with Red Barnhart 66 and, of course, the immaculate Austin Brothers Roadster number 71 driven this year by Kenny Bartholomew. I don't believe I ever saw Kenny run a race either. Um, let's see. And that car obviously is iconic. That's another one of those, you know, I think it was probably, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, maybe somebody can tell me better, but I'm guessing that it was probably designed to somewhat be a little deuce kind of idea. Um, and I know that's why Jimmy Winks, who won so much with the little deuce later on bought that car because he was trying to, you know, bring back the little deuce without bringing back the little deuce. It, he won a lot of heats, but he didn't win a feature. There were at least two dozen cars that were still home in the garage as of last week's event. Sure hope they get the lead out and come racing. And his predictions now, uh, I don't know if I have program three. And don't anybody spoil this. I know some of you guys like to don't do that. All right. We're, we're, we're going, we're walking through the season together. Don't put anything in the comments about, you know, what happens going forward. Let's Let's all enjoy it together, shall we? But uh, his predictions were Kenny Andrews, Jimmy Champagne, Norm Macrid, Todd Gibson, and Baldy Baker. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll maybe see how that uh, worked out. The racing highlights column with John Hill um, talked about how Bentley drove a race car for the first time since his disastrous sprint car crash at Toledo Speedway. He was taking for the first time his own rear engine car for a shakedown run at Indy. Keep in mind, we're in the month of May here. Um, his car, a 1968 Gurney Eagle powered by a turbocharged Offenhauser engine, was the same car Johnny Rutherford placed in the middle of the front row for the start of the 1970 Indy 500. Warren had bought the car with money raised through friends in Massachusetts under his Bay State Auto Racing Incorporated organization. Working with a shoestring budget, Bentley and Mechanics John Muller and Jerry Cox lengthened the car's wheelbase, which was a common practice that year at Indy, painted it blue, adding the number 36. Interesting. They missed the Phoenix and Trenton Championship car races in order to concentrate on Indy, but a slow 90-mile-an-hour 90 run there... Um, Bentley's engine, assembled from parts of other offies, destroyed itself, breaking the crankshaft and block. Bentley, doggedly determined to make his venture in USAC champ racing work, is now pounding the gasoline alley garage area trying to beg borrowers steal the parts necessary to get his car back on the track. As of this writing, he has just five days to do this, sort out the car's problems, and work up to the speeds necessary to qualify for one of the remaining 21 starting positions today and Sunday. His chances of qualifying the car are slim. To own and organize an Indy car as well as drive it is difficult indeed, but Warren is not a quitter. However, at this point, it would seem his chances would be better if he were to seek another ride. Um, let's see. Uh, editorial column. Um, what? Uh, oh, New pit facilities and lighting systems. So apparently that was the year that, uh, let's see, 
race drivers and push truck drivers took to the maze of pit roads, exits, and entrances like ducks do to water. It worked with very little confusion. We must, however, caution everyone in the pit area on Saturday nights that it's quite dangerous to go wandering around in front of the car stalls. There there are a lot of motion between incoming and outgoing supers in addition to the push trucks, so if you watch the races from the infield, please really watch it. Um, Let's see. At last week's driver's meeting, it was decided that even though a car is now physically able without problem to come back to the feature race on the green after making a pit stop, if the caution flag comes out between the time the car goes in and, and the time he's ready to come back out, he will have to stay in the pits for the rest of the race. Everyone agreed that this will prevent a driver who went out early in the event to come out much later in the race to pick up cheap positions made possible because of accidents or breakdowns by other drivers. Uh, think about that because I see a lot of that in racing now. So must be that I don't know if you know I don't, I don't know if that's still the case in Oswego or not. But that's how it was then. Um, talks about the third annual Empire State Twin Fifties for Super Modifieds. Um, I guess this is at Oswego. The race procedure will be a little different than the regular meets. The program will consist of three heats of twelve laps, a ten lap concy, and two fifty lap features. So no semis. The starting positions for the heat races will be drawn uh, from a hat. Um, let's see. So it talks about that. Um, all consolation cars and cars not turning the 21 flat second mark will start in the rear in both 50s. Now, here's that's another thing. Um, and I don't know that they were doing this in 72. They might have been. But that brings up another thing from that era that I just thought was so cool. Um, and now we have sort of a, you know, it's not really the same, but it kind of is. The The thing about warm-ups used to be that you had a minimum speed, and if you met the minimum speed, your car number went up on the board. So you turned time, so to speak. Um, when I went, started going, I think it was 19 and a half seconds, if I remember right. So here we have in 72, we have a 21-second minimum um and in a year it seems like it jumped to 19 and a half at least i think that's what i remember um it, but it, but that may not have started in 73 either but i do remember very early on that that was one of the things that i sort of you know i remember understanding that that you know you get the number going up on the board and you know that's kind of how you'd uh how you do so let's see um Whoever owned this program before me did not fill out the racing game. So I don't know if they won anything or not, but they have Bernie Grant and Freddie Graves. So uh, that would have been interesting. Meet new driver, Bob Jodoin. Um, I won't. Well, yeah, maybe I will read this for you just because you know what? Bob deserves a little bit of uh, sunlight here. So we'll give him a little spotlight. Uh, one of the many new faces to appear here at the Oswego Speedway last Saturday was that of Bob Jodoin, pilot of the red, white, blue, number 50. The 21-year-old throttler hails from Endicott, New York. During the week, Bob's employed as an auto parts clerk for United Auto Parts of Johnson City. Bob was brought up with racing all through his childhood. He used to go to the races at Shangri-La Speedway in Owego and the Five Mile Point Speedway in Binghamton very regularly. He took a great interest in the racing taking place at those tracks. His brother, Ray, has been racing road courses and formula cars since 1960, making him all the more involved in racing. Ray would run Watkins Glen Thompson Road Course, just to mention a few. Um, 
and Bob would catch as many races as possible. He even took a Formula One car out once to try it out, but never competed with it. Really? Wow. Okay. There's an interesting little fact about Bob Jodoin. Um, I've never heard of the man until I read this program. Um, Bob is much more interested in oval racing and in 1969 began coming to Oswego after seeing the Supers in action for the first time here. Bob had a strong urge to someday try it out. Since that year, Bob has missed very few shows at Oswego and his favorite drivers include Jim Champagne, Norm Ackworth, and Nolan Swift. He started helping Red Barnhart last year with the Flying Five, gained very valuable experience as a mechanic. Bob really wanted to get behind the wheel of sleek supers, so his big chance came in October of 71 when Bob met up with an old veteran from the racetracks, June Holcomb of Owego, New York. June was building an all-new super and offered Bob the ride, which he accepted. Ever since October, both June and Bob have, as opposed to Bob June... put long, long hours into their creation and just recently completed the car two weeks ago. Supports a big 427 Chevy power plant and the car features a unique roll cage design. The cage was built so that the driver would have the utmost protection and if you look at it, it is quite a cage. It's the only thing I can say about it. It's quite a cage. uh, They plan on running a swiggle mainly, but we'll catch a few shows at Fulton and Thompson in Connecticut. Holcomb, by the way, had an outstanding racing career himself. He raced sprint cars and modifieds all over the Northeast since 1948, retired several years ago. He built a few cars over the last few years, and many of them are in action today across the country. When running the cars himself, he enjoyed much success. He was a consistent driver wherever he raced. Last week, they had the car out for the first time, and after Bob had gotten his time down to 22.3. Not bad for a rookie. During warm-ups, the rear-end ring and pinion went on the 50. Both very satisfied with the run and are very hopeful for a fine season ahead. We'd like to wish both Bob and June and the crew of the number 50 the best of luck for a good season with the Super Modifieds at the Oswego Speedway. So cool stuff. Um, You don't say one of my favorite parts of the old programs back in the day. They would show a candid shot of a driver talking to somebody or two drivers or whatever and they would come up with what they hoped was a witty little thing that they were saying or one was saying. Um, some of them worked well. Some of them didn't. Here's a picture of Doug Sire looking down at the ground. Nick Rowe standing with him looking behind Doug. Doug says, now, Nick, don't get uppity with me just because you won at Delaware last night. Says John Bozio, rookie driver of car six. Picture of him with, I assume, a crew guy. You really mean they tie me with a sundial? <laughs> uh, and Baldy Baker talking to a couple people. Says Baldy Baker, I'll tell you, boys, my engine is so fast. When I step on it, my eyes pop right out of my head. Well, that engine was built by Gary Miles, I would assume, right, uh, back then. And uh, my gosh, I mean, there's there's another iconic car, an iconic team. Um, and I think we can, I'm just kind of looking through. There's a, there's a short piece on Lee Platt here, who is a mechanic for Nick Rowe, um, 
and Nick was from Michigan. And so um, that's that was cool. And then uh, a little cartoon in here. Uh, Jimmy Champagne and Norm Macrath racing. It says caution, third turn bumps. Jimmy looking behind him says, yes, sir, Norm. I think you knew your new eye gear suits me real fine. Um, I don't really know what that meant, but uh, back then it must have been um, must have been something. Okay, <laughs> if the race is at Oswego, here's the big question. If the races at Oswego were team races, who would you pick as your teammate and why? Ronnie Wallace says Nolan Swift. He's consistent, steady, and fast. Jimmy Champagne says Daryl Peckham. He's a nice guy. Daryl Peckham says, Jim Champagne, I need that big a winner to carry me. <laughs> Bob Seelman, I'll have to go with the old fox. He's the best prepared. That would be the old gray fox, Nolan Swift. Jimmy Winks, the most fastest, consistent driver at the track. That's who he would pick. He didn't say who that was. Warren Conium says, that's a pretty tough question. To answer, Jim Muldoon says, Swifty, he'd make up for the time I, I would lose. <laughs> Jack Murphy says champagne because he's got a green car. Very good. Ronnie Madison Swift because I have his old car. Um, Bob Stelder says AJ Foyt. He's got the car money and runs. I don't know what runs means. Maybe experience. Nick Rowe says Baldy Baker. He's my age. Baldy says Nick Rowe. He's my sidekick. Paul Baumhauer, so many good ones, I wouldn't know who to choose. Jim Cheney says Swifty because he's a winner. Norm Macra says Brian Herb, definitely. He'll teach me and I'll teach him. They already were teammates. Oh, by the way. Fred Graves, Todd Gibson, so he can hold them back for me. <laughs> Don McLaren says Nolan Swift, he's a good driver. Red Barnhart says Warren Conium, I think he's a little tougher than I am. Sam Carista says either Swift or Champagne for the experience. Bruce Crafts says, good old Nick Rowe. He's helped me a lot. John Burkholder says, Swift. He's got the crew and the know-how. Mark Letcher says, Champagne, because we were teammates on a basketball team over the winter. Now, I suppose when Mark Letcher was young, I could picture him playing basketball. Probably not today. Um, that's pretty much all the reading that there is in the, the program. Uh, I'm not going to read the part about air in the race car. Um, there is a uh, actually I'll I'll go ahead and finish this off because there is a profile of Freddie Graves in here. So maybe we'll see how old. Oh, he was 25. So one of auto racing's big one of auto racing's top stars lives in our Oswego County area. He's Fred Graves, pilot of the sleek roadster number 37. The 25-year-old speedster lives halfway between the villages of Central Square in Mexico with his wife, Janet, and their two children, Andrew James, who they called AJ, who was two at the time, and Chris, who was two months old. Employed by J&M Schaefer Corporation of Syracuse, Fred is tabbed as an industrial salesman. Fred claims that auto racing is about his only hobby. Of course, the summer months are busy keeping the car 37 running. The winter is preparing for the upcoming season. Even when Fred doesn't work on his own car, he keeps up on other divisions of auto racing. His favorite drivers are A.J. Foyt in the USAC champ circuit, Jackie Stewart in the formula cars, and Richard Petty in the NASCAR division. Naturally, Fred's favorite racetrack is the Swiggle, where he's built himself quite a following. His entire family, wife, parents, sisters, and brothers are at the track every week to cheer him on. Fred claims the people of auto racing are the friendliest people he's ever met. He likes the super circuit because all the drivers are willing to help if the occasion arises. 
Attending Mexico Academy and Central School, Fred was an honor student. His average was 85, and he was a member of the National Honor Society. In his junior year, he was elected class president along with being president of the 4-H Council and the FFA. He went on to Cornell University, where he majored in agricultural engineering. While attending college, Freddie recalls the good times of Cayuga Lodge, where he resided, which was like a fraternity. (laughs) It was during this time that one of Fred's best friends arranged a blind date for both of them. This is when Fred met Janet. There was just one little flaw, though. Janet's date. Janet's date was Fred's best friend. Soon after, though, Fred and Janet started going together and were married June 29th of 1968. He is a member of the Air National Guard with headquarters out of Hancock Field in Syracuse. He reports one weekend a month, must report for two weeks sometime during the summer, which Fred has already undergone so he wouldn't miss any racing. See? Priorities. Fred finds himself working on the large aircrafts as a weapon mechanic. He likes this very much, although he'd rather be working on the 37. His favorite color is gold, and it was pointed out to me by somebody after the last show. So I did not mention that Freddie drove a number 92, that it was his first car that he had, uh, and it was gold. And um, I didn't remember that. But I do now that somebody pointed it out. I think I remember seeing a picture of it back in the day. Um. Anyway, his favorite type of food is Italian, and he comments that wife Janet's a good cook. His favorite drink is a Tom Collins. His motto in life is a common sense will always dominate. (laughs) Until 2020. Never mind. This season, Fred owns the Supermodified along with two other men, John Corb and Bob Graff. Okay, so at that time... um. There were three partners in this 37 car, John Corb, Bob Graff, and Fred. They bought the car outright from Bill Marsh over the winter. So at the end of 71, apparently, Bob Marsh had owned the car, or Bill Marsh had owned the car, and these three men, in some you know chemistry of dollars or other, put, put their money together and um, bought the car, which was built by, the engine was built by Gary Miles. There you go. Owner of the 93. Fred's always ready to listen to a fan suggestion concerning racing. He feels the fans deserve to be heard because without their support, they wouldn't be out there racing. Fred feels this type of communication between the racers and the fans will help to make auto racing a better sport. Continued success to Fred and the crew of the 37 and look for him to put the car into victory lane again uh, this season. And so um, did he win opening day? Maybe he did. No, Jimmy won. So I don't know. Oh, maybe he won his first race in 71. Maybe I'm uh, a year too late. But anyway, so there's there's our look back at 72. Um, and again, it's funny how and I and I, I don't plan these things. I just decided I I lined up all my 72 programs in chronological order. And this was the first one I had. And it keeps mentioning the number 93, which brings us to the episode number, which is 93. And I went really long reading that program, so hope you all uh, are hanging in there. I try to keep these shows to about an hour and a half. This one's going to go a little longer. But uh, what do you say? 93. Um, the very first one I remember is the the car that Baldy Baker drove. Um, Miles, there was Gary Miles, there was... A guy named Barker, and I think there was a third partner. 
originally in that car too. There were three people, I think, that were involved in that. And I don't think, if I remember right, there were there was at least one or two drivers before Baldy in that car. But Baldy was the first one, I think, to to do anything with it at Oswego, and he's going to come up in a. He was a cover uh, cover boy a few weeks later, so he'll come up in our uh, come up in our continued rewind sec- uh, segments later on. But um, man, that car. I started going in 73 and Baldy was in it. Baldy was still winning. And then for whatever reason, Baldy left, went to the six in 74. I think Jim Cheney took over the car and I don't think Jim ever won a feature with it, but he definitely ran well. Gary Albritton. No, wait a minute. Hang on. I'm going to back up here. Albritton drove it first. Albritton. It was black in 74. After Baldy left and went to the six, Gary Albritton got in the car. And then, uh, and Gary didn't, I mean, Gary was fast, but he didn't win any features, I don't think. And he, he, uh, he was at the end of 74, he went out of the car and in 75, I think it was Jim Cheney who started the year in it and Jim ran good with it, had some top five runs and whatever. And then, uh, I think he got out and, and. You know, however, this all, I think Baldy retired at one point, then came back. He retired and I think it might have been, and I'm probably going to mess this all up, but I think he retired in 74 after he had won a bunch of races with the six or several anyway, a few. Um, and then he came back and he came back and, and, um, or my, maybe it was 75 that he retired, but he he retired, came back in a twin to the six, which I think you had the 40 and the 01 from the Hagen Howard stable from like this era, like 72, 71, 72. And I think those became the 58 and the six, then the six and the seven. And I, I always lose track of whose car was which. I think the six was the old 40 and the, the, the 58 was the old 01 that became the the, I don't know. I, I Anyway, I lose track, but but Baldy came back in the seven car, then went back to the six, and Jim Cheney went from the six to the seven. And then sometime in, I think it was 75, Baldy ended up back in the 93 and continued to race for, for, for miles. Um, that car, I think Bobby, yes, that was the car that Bobby Stilder bought for 76. And they built a rear engine car 93 for Baldy to drive. And I think there was a guy, um, another guy who Banyas, his name was Banyas, 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 um, Ray or Ron, Rick, somebody, some, something like that. I think it was, I think it was, it, I, I think it was, I think it was Ray, Ray Banyas, um, and uh, that car never did much of anything at, at, at Oswego. Uh, I don't know if it was fast anywhere else, but just one of those experiments didn't work out so well. And I think that was it. I think that was the last year that there was a, a Miles 93, but that, that car was an ex-Indy Roadster, and it was iconic. And, and it kind of continued as the 99 for Bobby Stelter. And... Um, I'm not sure what happened to it after that. I'd love to know what happened to that car 
after Bobby got out of it. Maybe it was restored, perhaps, to its IndyCar livery. I'm not sure. But um, Bobby ran it for for all for whatever of 76. I think he, he actually, I think, uh, I don't know if he, I'm trying to remember if he might have run it once in 75, maybe. But I know he, he ran much of the 76 season with a beautiful car. They did a nice job rebuilding it. He never did win a race, feature race, but I think he won some heats and stuff and, and was really competitive. And, um, you know, and then I, I'm not sure what, what exactly happened to it after that. Like I said, it might have been put back to its IndyCar glory or, or not. I'm not sure, but that y'all can chime in on that one. Um, oh, boy. So after that, um, 93. I don't know that there was a 93 for a good while after that. Um, I want to say, uh, what number was Bob Gutermout when he ran a super? Did he have a 93? Was that car, was that a 93 when he first brought it out? It might've been. I remember him in a 77. I don't remember, but I think there was another, and I think it was a 90 something. I think it might've been 93. Is that Was that his number? Again, you'll all correct me if I'm wrong anyway, and that's the whole point of this, after all, is to initiate discussions. So, But I think I think he might have, uh, I don't remember the the gentleman's name who owned the car, um, but uh, I think Bob might have had a 93, and I, uh, I don't think, I know Graham, Ray Graham had, he had a 90 and a 91 and, I, and a 92, I believe. I think one of the Teresis, I think we talked about that last thing. One of the Teresis, I think it was a 92 at one point. But I don't think he ever had a 93. I'm not sure. Have we had a 93 in recent years? I'm Again, I always, I, I, I end up in these situations where, you know, okay, now we have one that ran last year. And, you know, I end up looking like an idiot. But again, that's the whole point after all. But, um I'm I I get foggy with like the especially from the like the 90s forward with some of these I get foggy because especially toward the end of the 90s and into the 2000s after I moved around a little bit and and was like a, away from Oswego um and was you know watching stuff on video and whatever uh more than I was there in person I just lose some of the detail but um but that's the history. If you, if anybody can come up with any other ninety threes, throw them, throw them in the comments section. Um, love to, love to know. But I think I got half of half or more of that right anyway. Um, but that was a big card. That was another one of those. Again, I always like to say that certain numbers are iconic for s- certain reasons, and uh, I would argue that 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 was one of the most widely respected and loved and enjoyed cars that ever raced at a swig. It was that miles 93 that Baldy and all those guys drove. It was a beautiful looking car and it was fast. So with that, um, I think we've covered it for this particular show. So I'm going to wrap it up right here. This may be the longest closing segment I've ever had. <laughs> Sorry about that guys, but I love reading through the program and, and, Somebody like Bob Judoin, you know what? He was just a small part of Oswego history, but he he deserved it. We're we're going through the program. You gotta you gotta give him his due. So um, we hope that Bob has had a, a a good life. I I just don't remember him at all past this season. So 
with that, um, first of all, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our sponsors, to Jeff West and IPC Indy. Thank you to uh, JNS Paving, Rich Worth, and everybody. Um, and uh, thanks, of course, to uh, the best fish place in town, Skip's Fish Fry. Um, appreciate uh, Sean Cathcart and uh, and and the 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 food there uh hopefully i'll get up this summer and be able to to enjoy some of that um and with that we will close the show and i will say happy easter everyone have a safe and blessed weekend and we'll be back really soon with episode 94 of the inside groove super modified podcast until then i'm tom baker Thanks for listening. Happy Easter, everyone. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit RaceChaserMedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.